What's up, y'all, and welcome to the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita, here on Thursday afternoon, February 20th, 2020. A lot of, a lot of twos in the date today. 2-20-2020, wow. And it's going to be 2.20 p.m. in about seven minutes, so <laughs> what a day it is. We are back in action. I talked earlier this week with Johnny Fairplay, the survivor legend, the mastermind behind the iconic Dead Grandma Lie. If you're interested in that episode, go back and check that one out. It was one for the history books here on the Jack Vita Show. It was a lot of fun. But today, I have something special in its own right prepared for you. So earlier today, I recorded a podcast episode with... Andrew Stem from the Omaha World Herald. He was one of my professors at Valparaiso University, is a big college basketball fan, and loves the game of baseball. He joined me earlier today, and we ended up recording a podcast episode that went much longer than I expected it to be, but that's good. So I have taken the liberty of splitting it up into two podcasts. The first half It's like a vinyl, okay, folks? Side A is the college basketball talk, and then side B is the spring training, Astros, all that type of stuff talk. So today, in this episode, the one you are currently listening to, you are about to hear a conversation about college basketball. I encourage you to listen to it. If you are wanting the baseball talk, check out the following episode, which will be released probably a day later or so, but this is a great episode in the meantime. I hope you will enjoy it. We have a lot of fun, so let me take you into this conversation right now. How are you doing today, Andrew? I'm doing very well, Jack. Uh, Happy to be back. Really excited to talk some college basketball. It's been uh, a thoroughly entertaining season and should make for a wild NCAA tournament coming here next month. Yeah, it sure looks like it. It's it's uh, every single week, up and down. We don't know about any of these teams, it seems. Yeah, the question that seems to be bouncing around a lot is whether there are any like great teams. There are a lot of teams with really good records. I mean, San Diego State's undefeated. Baylor and Gonzaga have only lost once. Dayton's lost twice. But uh, the question I've seen other national pundits kind of bounce around is, would any of those teams be favored against like the Duke team from last year? Now I know, I know they didn't win, but when you get three guys in the lottery, like how you know, kind of trying to figure out whether these teams now are as good as like say that team last year, and it, it just seems like the tournament should be wide open. Yeah, definitely. I guess the other thing that if you were to poke holes at some of the things with these teams, and obviously these all four of those teams that you mentioned are looking very strong and deserve to be up there in terms of where they're ranked. But I guess the other thing you could say is their competition in the sense of would they would Baylor win 22 games straight if they're playing in the Big East or the Big Ten? I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I had actually hadn't really looked at the standings seriously until yesterday and um, looked at the Big 12 standings and realized that Candace and Baylor had one league loss between them. And then third place was like seven and six. And uh, so it just kind of seems like all the, not lower echelon, but everybody else other than Baylor and Kansas just kind of keep beating up on each other. And it's really hard to get a good sense of how good they are. West Virginia has a really good defense and sometimes really struggles to score. 
Same thing with Texas Tech. They play really good defense and sometimes just can't get the ball to go in the basket. And it's hard to know how good those teams really are, which I think is kind of exciting. It's just going to mean that it, it should seem like the tournament is really going to be wide open next month. You know, I feel like a year ago it seemed like, okay, a lot of people were going to pick Duke and, and all their all, uh, all their uh, five-star freshmen. And, you know, there have been previous years. Villanova two years ago seemed like they were – head and shoulders above everybody else and uh it doesn't really seem for as well as Baylor has played this year it doesn't really seem like there's one of those teams that would be a favorite where you know when people start filling out their brackets on ESPN or whatever that there's going to be one team that say 40 percent of all brackets are, are going to pick to win it all and it's it, it could be a come from a variety of teams which I think is what makes the tournament so great yeah, I would agree with you. And the other thing that I think in turn with that is last year, the mid-majors that we got, the mid-major stars, some of them didn't play. Mike Dom didn't get into the tournament. Chris Clemens didn't get into the tournament. And this year, we're looking at Obi Toppin and what he's got going on at Dayton. We're looking at some of these other schools like Gonzaga, like San Diego State, uh, Northern Iowa, if they're able to come through and win the Valley there are a lot of really good mid-majors there. And so I think with that territory of there not being really big heavyweights in the Power Five, you're also looking at a smaller gap between those Power Five schools and the mid-major schools that could potentially get into this tournament. No, absolutely. A team like BYU, yeah. uh, they are, they're a lot of fun to watch, especially on offense. Uh, St. Mary's, if they end up getting in, UNC Greensboro. Uh, I mean, we, you mentioned Northern Iowa. We could keep on going down the list. Rhode Island is fun to watch. Richmond might be sneaking into a bid. Um, and remind me as we near things up here, uh, before we transition into baseball, but kind of after all this discussion is over, <laughs> I read a really interesting proposal from a, a college basketball writer I respect about how to take care of. Um, I mean, this year he's dubbed it the Stephen F. Austin problem. Uh, it would be a problem that we had to deal with when we were both in Valpo with that Alec Peters team that was mm, really good yeah. and when, when they win the regular season but then don't win the conference tournament. So I, I want to float later on after we've had a discussion about where things are headed, uh, what he wrote, and, and kind of get your take on it. All right, yeah. You, why don't you bring it up now? We're here now. We can okay. do it now. All right, we're, all right well, we're talking about now. He said, uh, I can't remember exactly what he deemed it, but he basically called them hybrid bids. And his plan was that you take the the 32 conference champions and then you select your 32 at-large teams. And then four teams, because uh, this came up because Stephen F. Austin, who has one of the best wins, I think, on yeah. the season winning winning at Duke, um, there's something absurd like 22-3, and three, I think, is their overall record now. They've won 10 in a row. Uh, they're one of two teams to win at Cameron Indoor this year. And uh, their net is somewhere down in the 80s because most of the rest of the Southland Conference is not very good. So they're not going to win enough games to where they'd be in at-large territory. So if they don't win their conference tournament, they're bound to the NIT. And uh, this writer, uh, Eli Bodiger, uh, I think he's with Sporting News now, uh, basically suggested that you take however many regular season champs there are who didn't win their conference tournament. And you call those these hybrid bids, for lack of a, a better term. I honestly can't remember what he called it. And um, you have you seed them based on their uh, NET ranking, their net rating, or whatever. And then however many of those there are, like let's say there's 10, 
then you take the last 10 at-large teams who got into the field and you do a reverse seeding and you play a bunch of play-in games. So the top-seeded hybrid bid would play the last team into the field and then so on and working down the hybrid bid list of mid-major conference champions and small college champions and then work up towards the mid-majors who are more solidly into the field and then you just have like a series of play-in games to get in and keep the seed do it like the first four but get in and so then you can ultimately determine uh whether those guys deserve a shot instead of just you know not making it and being bound for the nit i really like that i really like that idea i thought it was spectacular i was like this needs to be passed to somebody who could make it happen. And I realized logistically, because you're not ever going to know specifically how many games there are and things like that, there would be a lot of logistics to work out. But, you know, when we were, when we were both at Valpo and, you know, that great team with Alec Peters and all those guys, and they made the run to the NIT championship game. Like think of how they would have benefited. Like if they could have played, I know Tulsa was one of those teams in the first four. Like if they'd have gotten a shot at Tulsa and then if they'd beaten Tulsa, they'd have gotten into the field of 68 or 64. That would, you know, not that the NIT run wasn't spectacular, but you know, your goal is always to get into the NCAA tournament. And that just seems so much more fair. And I realize that conference tournaments are a money grab. And if you really want to send your best team to the NCAA tournament, you shouldn't do them. But, you know, TV and money kind of rule all. And so conference tournaments aren't going away. So this seems as maybe uh, a secondary way to sort of correct those wrongs and see if you can get your best 64 teams into the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And they make some more money doing this, too. Yes, Yes, I don't think any of the television networks would turn down a chance to make more money. <laughs> you know, it's funny, and we'll be talking more baseball later, but this is a good point to bring up. There's this rumored proposition that the MLB wants to expand the playoffs to feature seven teams in each league. I don't like it because I think that ruins some of the regular season. The regular season's so important. And it's like in baseball... And I know some people try to equate it to college basketball and how college basketball is this big tournament. But in uh, in pro baseball, there are 30 teams. So 14 out of 30, that's a really high percentage of teams getting into the playoffs. College basketball, there are 300, 350 teams. So 60 out of them, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, we can... We can. I, I have thoughts about the uh, proposed <laughs> playoff expansion, um, but we can save those for the baseball segment. But yeah, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, the short of it is, if baseball wants to expand their postseason, they need to go to thirty-two teams first. Yeah, but, I agree. Uh, we, we we can discuss that coming up here in a little bit. <laughs> All right, stay tuned for that. In terms of college hoops. What has been the biggest surprise to you in terms of how a team has looked this year? Wow. Uh, there are lots of directions to go with that. Uh, but I'm going to go with, uh, I'll go with Dayton. Um, Obi Toppin, I knew that he was a guy that, uh, you know, had been looked at and, uh, could have gone, entered the draft a year ago, came back to school and knew he was going to be a good player. But the way the rest of that Dayton roster has just coalesced around him, um, you know, I mean, Jalen Crutcher has been really good. Trey Landers has has been good as well. I mean, 
Toppin is one of the you know favorites for I think national player of the year. But that team is just so much fun to watch. Um, you know they got they played uh, Kansas overtime out at the Maui Invitational Championship game. They lost an overtime game to Colorado that was played in at the United Center, I think, for some reason. And uh, <laughs> since since then, uh, they've won 15 in a row. They are just rolling along, uh, and they've taken everybody's best shot in the Atlantic 10. Um, they had to survive a game at St. Louis in overtime, did so, and they've just they've just been awesome. And one of those, like, where you knew they were going to be good, but didn't see that coming and much along the same lines as San Diego state. I don't think anybody, yeah. envi- and I don't think anybody envisioned them to be uh, certainly undefeated, but even to have pushed to the upper echelon of uh, top 25, like they have this year, those two, I would say those two stories have been uh, pretty spectacular. So I would go, mine would be on the other end of things. Who's disappointed me the most. And that's North Carolina. I just cannot believe that they are as bad as they are. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they've had some, I don't know if it necessarily qualifies as, as bad luck or, or fluke plays goes against them. It seems like they've lost four or five games in a row all on buzzer beaters. But yeah. um, they looked so good in Atlantis uh, when Cole Anthony was healthy and then he got hurt and the wheels just fell off the cart and they just can't seem to get right. And I don't know, Roy is frustrated and his team is frustrated and... You know, it, you start to wonder how much it would have done for them if they could have held on and, and beaten Duke and if that would have turned the season around or maybe they'd still end up in the NIT. But they have been, you know, to go from preseason top 10 to, you know, uh, looking like they're going to struggle to even finish at 500, that, is, that has certainly been one of the big stories is, is their disappointment this year. North Carolina is in dead last in conference play. They're three and twelve in the ACC, and this is a year that the ACC isn't quite as deep as it's been in the past, too. Yeah, no, the, I mean, well, I assume we'll get to talking about NC State and what they did to, uh, yeah. last night, but uh, you know, it looks realistically like Duke, Florida State, and Louisville will all be probably top three seeds uh, when the bracket comes out in a little more than twenty-one days, uh, twenty-four days, and. Uh, you know, other than that, maybe NC State gets a berth. Uh, Virginia, I think, probably is on the right side of the bubble right now. But other than those two teams, the ACC has been a disaster. And yeah. uh, there's a, you know, so, I mean, there's a chance it could be a three-bid league. It'll probably end up being four. But, man, that that, that league has been very top-heavy, um, uh, unlike, I would say, the Big Ten and the Big East, which I assume we'll, we'll transition to here in a minute, which have yeah. been uh, – decidedly for the most for the big east all the way through i would say and for the big 10 from you know 112 have been pretty good from top to bottom yeah maggie and i talked about this last week with the big 10 is there really isn't now maybe maryland starts to emerge great team i mean they're 22 and 4 and they're seven in the country right now and they've had and they've had a lot of 12 and 3 in the conference so that's nothing to sneeze at but we were looking at it's the Big Ten. It's like you have ten or eleven teams that are going to give you a really tough game on any given night, but no real great team. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like you said. Aside from Maryland, um, you know, who I, I think with the right draw could legitimately uh, make a run at a Final Four. Uh, Jalen Smith is a really fun player to watch, and 
Yeah, he bullied Northwestern a couple nights ago. Yeah, and Anthony Cowan in, in clutch time hitting his three three-pointers on Saturday to uh, steal a win in the Breslin Center uh, against Michigan State. But yeah, I mean, it will be interesting to kind of see, one, how many teams the Big Ten gets into the tournament, but then how they start doing when they're not beating up on each other. Like, they, the, the league collectively has some really good non-conference wins. I mean, Michigan has wins over like Gonzaga and uh, Creighton, and Creighton is shooting up. And uh, North Carolina was a quality yeah, win at one point. <laughs> yeah, still yeah. is. I mean, Ohio State, Ohio State beat Kentucky. Ohio State, you know, they were rolling through, and they were going to be the number one team in the country. Michigan State has a win at Seton Hall. Indiana um, beat Florida State. Indiana beat Florida State. You know, you can go on, can go on down the list, and. Um, you know, for the most part, all those Big Ten teams have good non-conference wins, and it will just be really interesting to see how many of them can advance. You know, out of the first couple of rounds of the NCAA tournament, when they're not just consistently beating up on each other. Because you look at those schedules, man, and there, there, there are no easy nights in the Big, Big Ten. I know Northwestern uh, has struggled and uh, at the bottom of the conference, but you know they they were a couple baskets away from upsetting Rutgers last weekend and uh you know they gave maryland everything they could handle on the road the other night and uh nebraska has wins over iowa and purdue two teams who are you know iowa i think is solidly in the field and and purdue kind of on the bubble and you know they're probably ripe for one or two more upsets before it's just a grind yeah it's it's such a fun conference to watch and i love that the way that it's always been officiated is they let the guys play pretty physically, which I think sets those teams up well for the tournament in terms of what they're going to see. But it's just so it's such a weird year. We talk about Michigan being number one in the country at one point, Ohio State being top five at one point, and some of those schools that have fallen, and Purdue has had some big wins. So I'm curious in terms of if you're looking at the Big Ten and you had to make a guess based on the season ends today, not based on what we'll see over these next two weeks, how many of these teams do you think would be in? Uh, Based on the state of the bubble right now, I would probably say 10. I think, um, you know, I I think Purdue is going to be a real interesting test case based on how they sort of finish the year. Um, because the, the numbers have been floating around, and they've never had a team get net large bid with uh, more with fewer being fewer than two games over five hundred. <laughs> and, and Purdue right now at fourteen and thirteen, they're going to have to, you know. I mean, the nice thing is the Big Ten offers pretty much a chance at a quality win every time you go out, but they're going to have to get to a point I think where they're three or four games over five hundred, and even at that point, they might have fifteen or sixteen losses. And that would also, I think, set a record for most losses by an at-large team. Wow. Uh, Bryce Drew's Vanderbilt team a few years ago was, I think, like 18 and 15. Um, so it's like if Purdue only loses one more of their conference games, you know, and then doesn't win the Big Ten tournament, they're going to tie would be uh, the record. So they'll be... Uh, an interesting test case because like you said they have some really good wins they beat virginia they ran iowa out of their gym uh they crushed illinois they crushed michigan state they've played really well at home they they haven't played great on the road but they played really well at home have some good wins uh the computers still love them they're still 25th in uh ken pomeroy's formula in spite of being just a game over 500 <laughs> um 
but I, I think 10. I think one of Purdue or Indiana are probably going to find themselves on the wrong side. Although Indiana picked up a nice win last night and I think pretty much resigned Minnesota uh, to having to yeah. win the Big Ten, having to win the 10 tournament to get in. Because right now at 12 and 13, um, you know, they're, they're now reeling towards the bottom of the conference, I think. Uh, let me pull up there. You know, they've lost five of their last six. They were five and four after they won in Columbus, and now they're six and nine. And they're at Northwestern. Their finishing schedule's at Northwestern, Maryland at home, at Wisconsin, at Indiana, and then they get Nebraska at home. So, you know, you figure if they play well, it's the two teams at the bottom of the league that gets to, to two wins. But if they don't win those other three, you know, then they're rolling into the the Big Ten tournament at eight and twelve in the league, um, and they would be fourteen and sixteen overall. Realistically, having to win—I mean, they, at that point, they'd have to win the Big Ten tournament to get in. Yeah. So, I think Minnesota is now Big Ten tournament or bust. And I don't know—I could see Indiana and Purdue both getting in and getting the league to eleven teams, but it's one of those things that some really good mid-majors guys you mentioned at the teams you mentioned at the top. Uh, somebody like a Northern Iowa, like if they get to the Missouri Valley Conference tournament game, championship game, but don't win it, do they merit getting a bid? You'll get some bid thieves like that in, in the yeah. SoCon, maybe UNC Greensboro uh, or East Tennessee State, somebody along those lines. Those two teams have played really well and are kind of on the fringe of bubble categories as well. So if they don't win their conference tournaments, I don't know if there will be enough bids left over for uh, team like Indiana, Purdue. I may even lump Wisconsin in there. Um, you know, Wisconsin looks to be, I think, pretty safely in right now at sixteen and ten. Um, but they have some really head scratching losses. They yeah. lost to New Mexico. They lost to to NC State. And their schedule, they finish with Rutgers. They get Rutgers at home, then at Michigan, Minnesota at home, Northwestern at home, and then at Indiana. So it, it's hard to know, kind of, you know, where they'll finish overall record wise and. Um, so in a long way of answering your question, I, I think the big 10, it's taken me a while to get there, but I think the big 10 gets ultimately gets 10. Awesome. All right. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Let's, we could talk a little bit about some of the games that were on last night. Uh, who did you tune into any last night, Andrew? Uh, I watched the last 10 minutes of Seton hall and Butler, which, uh, was a very, it was kind of a, a tugging at the heartstring sort of game because um, I taught classes at Creighton for a little while. Creighton employs uh, my wife, Megan. So uh, we've been to their games. We're, we're, we're Creighton fans and uh, wanted Seton Hall to lose because then Creighton would have been tied atop the, the biggest regular season. At the same time as a Valpo alum, it's really, really hard to root for Butler. <laughs> so, uh, so I ended up rooting for Seton Hall and basically rooting against my own interest because I could not – I <laughs> uh, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't bring myself to root for Butler, but, um, you know, that was a really, a really well-played game and, and kind of went back and forth and that, that tipping at the buzzer, uh, for Seton Hall really stopped what had been, uh, a slide. They, they got to 10 and one in the league and were in danger if they hadn't, you know, one last night of dropping three in a row. Um, and, uh, they, they just got it done somehow. Miles Powell is, uh, really fun to watch. And uh, they got a bit. They got a big win for them. I watched that. Um, I watched the the end of the Michigan Rutgers game and watched Michigan and Rutgers uh, seventeen game home court winning streak. 
and uh, then I, I saw the first probably 10 minutes of uh, of game time, not of real time, of game time. So the first quarter of the game of Duke and NC State. And then uh, and that was pretty much all I needed to see. And, <laughs> I'd uh, say so. Man, uh, that, that Duke team is hard to figure out. This is what's going to make the tournament so great this year. Is we don't know what Duke is. We don't know what they're going to do. They lost by 20 at NC State last night. They got thumped. Yeah. Yeah, and they, it was a win they really needed to try and improve their bubble profile. And you know, Duke has some some good wins, like like they beat Kansas the opening night of the year, and uh, you know they they have other good wins. Um, you know, they beat they won at Michigan State. Um, you know, they beat Florida State at home uh, last Monday, but they have some really head scratching losses, like. You know, that Stephen F. Austin lost. Stephen F. Austin's turned out to be a really good team. But at the time, that was, they lost to who? Um, they lost to Clemson. They looked listless in that game at Clemson. Even the North Carolina game. Like, you know, credit Trey Jones and Wendell Moore for making that stuff happen and getting a couple of buzzer beaters and winning that game. But, I mean, this was a North Carolina team that, you know, we talked about now is 10-16. and 16, And, I mean, they took, they had a, a 12-point lead midway through the second half, and they just took it to Duke, and you know, Duke's looked pretty listless, and it, I, I, they're such a hard team to figure out. And, you know, Vernon Vernon Carey is so good, and, and Trey Jones is really good. Like, they have, they have really good pieces, and if they all play their A games, they could roll through the tournament. And if they don't, they could get bounced before the Sweet 16. Yeah. I'm I'm right there with you on that. I got some other Big East stuff I was watching. Did you watch? I'm I'm assuming you watched Marquette and Creighton a couple nights ago, right? I did. Yeah, Tuesday night. Yep. Yeah, I think that was a great win for Creighton, and something that really impressed me and why I would buy stock in them going into the tournament is just I like to look at how do teams close out games. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I'm watching Kentucky and LSU a couple nights ago, and Kentucky ends up winning that game, but they let that game get way closer than it should. I lose a lot of confidence in picking a team like Kentucky if Kentucky's a two seed, a three seed, whatever. Whereas I see Creighton up against Marquette, where Marcus Howard is starting to heat up. Brendan Bailey's hitting some big shots. I'm seeing Marquette fight claw, try to get their way back into this game. And Creighton offensively, just puts the nail in the coffin. That was, I think, really impressive. Great showing from them. Yeah, yeah, they've uh, they've been known uh, for their offensive ability, and uh, you know, it seems like since Biggie's play started, they've also you know turned it up defensively. You're talking about Marcus Howard heating up. They they held him without a point in the first half. Yeah, and uh, he had he had scored 55 on Creighton in a game last January scored, I think their final 26 points or something along those lines in a game that was one Oh three, one Oh two or something like that. Um, so Creighton is still not elite defensively, but they've gotten significantly better since Biggie's play started. And, uh, yeah, the, the way they responded, cause I can't remember what it was, I think 58 or something along those lines, Marquette had tied the game at 58 and then Creighton responded with, uh, an eight nothing run to to build the lead back out, and that's something that even as 
uh, as a couple of years ago, they might not have responded in that way. And what Marquette's run that was 8-0 to tie it might have all of a sudden become 12 or 15, and then all of a sudden Creighton finds themselves in a hole. But they've done just a really good job this year of doing exactly what you said and you know, answering the bell kind of every time that it rings. Yeah. One of the things that will, I find, to be really, really interesting or to keep an eye on in the NCAA tournament coming up is that typically it seems like you have to have a really good, not a really good, but a pretty good defense to win the national title. Um and that, you know, it's that's everybody kind of says, I think the, the old cliche is that's where offense kind of uh, offense will get you there. But defense is going to win you the national title. But there are some absolutely elite offenses. Um, I mean, and, and we haven't talked a lot about Iowa. Luca Garza is yeah. a guy who should be uh, in the foremost of the national player of the year discussion, I think. It's probably it's probably a foregone conclusion that he's going to be Big Ten Player of the Year. I saw a crazy stat the other night that he's scored twenty points in nine consecutive game, at least twenty points in nine consecutive games. And when you think about some of the defenses that he's been going against in the Big Ten, um, that's really impressive. But they're top five in offense and close to the bottom uh in defense i mean i guess yeah they're 89th in defensive efficiency now so you know you can get your points against them and i feel like there are a few teams um dayton is who in offense 52 in defense uh creighton is four in offense and 71 in defense so this may may i don't don't want to say for sure uh oregon another team is eight and 78th in offense 75th in defensive efficiency but this could be the year where offense gets the better of defense if one of those teams can do it or then again maybe kansas with their second being second in adjusted defensive efficiency and baylor being third maybe one of those teams does it and it just continues to be that ultimately defense will will get you through the ncaa tournament but it will be fun to watch man i'm so excited (laughs) Yeah, great point. I hadn't thought too much about it. You bring up some great points there. Another takeaway I have from watching Marquette is I'm starting to think Marquette might be better served if they're a lower seed and an underdog than if they're a high seed. And I look at some of their matchups and just the way they play. Last year, I think they were a five seed, I want to say, or a six yeah. seed, and they had to. They were five. They were five and played Murray State in the first round. Exactly. And, they... and Jaw went off. Yeah, and that's what when you're a five seed, you might end up playing a really good mid major in that spot, and there's all the pressure on you, and you don't want to. We've seen teams that play better as underdogs, and I think when you have a guy like Marcus Howard. I think they might be better off in a situation because we talk about how maybe Marquette isn't the best at closing out games on the on the other end of things. Maybe they're better off in a spot where they're going up against someone and Marcus Howard's got he likes the he likes the pressure and he goes in and he has a big game and puts him on his back and they let's say they're a seven seed, they play another power five, power six school in the first round, they win that. And now in the second round, they're going toe-to-toe with a two-seed. I seem to, for whatever reason, I feel like I would have more confidence in Marquette going in to a situation like that that they're not supposed to win than going up against one of these mid-majors that we talk about that could be troubling for them and a game that they're supposed to win. Man, can you imagine being Maryland 
getting a two seed and your reward for having a great season winning the Big Ten and being a two seed in the NCAA tournament is a possible rematch uh, <laughs> with Marquette. They when they played that really entertaining game down in Orlando, I think it's the Advocare Invitation. Yeah. now. I can't I can't remember what the name of it is, but that they play at the uh, Wide World of Sports, and that was I think Howard dropped fifty on them or, yeah. or something along those lines, and it's like oh hey you had a great season now your reward is seventh seeded Marquette. <laughs> uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, and they're going to end up. They're going to be one of those teams that nobody's going to want to play. And I think one of the fun things about this tournament is that when you start making that list, the list of teams that nobody's going to want to play could be 15 or 20 teams long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, they, it's weird to say this because Marcus is so good. But they, you, you talked about Brendan Bailey and Kobe McEwen. They, they will go, I think, as far as guys like Sakharanum and Bailey and McEwen and Theo John can take them. Um, because you know Marcus Howard is going to get his. Um, and when they were on that winning streak uh, a little while ago, I think they'd, they'd won three in a row after they lost uh, that game at Butler in overtime. They beat Xavier in double overtime, then DePaul, and got the rematch with Butler. Um, and that was happening. You know, They were winning, specifically that game against Xavier, when Marcus Howard was out and they had to win in double overtime, and Annan played really well. And, you know, I think you can just sort of pencil in Marcus Howard for his 25, and then if those other guys can step up and, and score, that's a team that can go a long way. They've, you know, they've, got, they've got some really good wins uh, in the non-conference. They have a nice win over USC. They beat Purdue uh, in the Gavit game. So uh, there are a lot of teams that you look at and you go, yeah, yeah, they could, they could go pretty far. So... <laughs> um, you know, I would I would never bet against a team with Marcus Howard on it. Yeah, I, but I do think it could be there. In addition to those guys putting up points, Marcus is going to need to find ways to get them more involved. I think too, in terms of driving, kick, finding an open man, because sometimes he does seem to. He's just such a competitor and he's such a gifted scorer that he might go a little out of control with trying to take it all into his own hands. Yeah, for sure. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that and finding finding that, that balance. And I think, I don't know if it's confidence, but having enough confidence in the teammates, you know, around you. I feel like last year with the Hauser brothers, yeah. you know, he could he could give up to, to Joey or, or Sam and, and know that they would hit a big shot. And, you know, I, I don't know enough about the, the inner workings of Marquette, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it's taken a while, you know, most of the season to sort of develop that confidence in some of those other guys to know, to be able to look at, okay, I got a double team coming on me. I know somebody's going to be open and I can pass it and have a fair amount of certainty that they're going to make the shot. So I, I, you know, I I hope, I think that's developed. It seems like it, but uh, you're right. They're definitely going to have to find that balance offensively because you can't have him taking, 25 or 30 shots to get his 30 points that's yeah that's not going to be a formula for them to win he's must see tv and while i have not watched a whole lot of nba this year i think he's a guy that i would love and i'm sure he's not projected super high he's probably an early second round type of pick but a guy that you could have come in off your bench in the nba and just get you points i don't i will not admit to watching a ton of nba either but uh (laughs) You know, I, I watched some, we got it on the newsroom at nights at the paper and I feel like, 
you're never going to go wrong with having a guy who can get you buckets. And, you know, he can drive, he can shoot. Uh, he's got a decent mid-range game that he, there will be a spot for him on an NBA roster next year. Absolutely. So a couple other games I watched to note on, and then I'll give you a chance to bring up any other stuff that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about before we move into baseball. I also watched last night, there was a pretty crazy game between Cincinnati and UCF, went to double overtime. The Cumberlands are a lot of fun to watch on that Bearcats squad. And I think that they could be good. I don't know where they'll end up being slotted in the tournament, but I'm, I'm curious to see where they how they perform. They ended up losing last night, by the way, in double overtime. But post Mick Cronin... Are they going to be able to get the monkey off their back and maybe make a nice little run? You know, John Brandon, uh, who uh, was coaching Northern Kentucky back in when uh, they first entered the Horizon League when we were still at Valpo, and uh, you know he has done a pretty remarkable job. I know that uh, there was a lot expected of them right away, and once McCronin left, it seems like they've not necessarily tailed off a bit, but just kind of kind of struggled to find their their footing. And uh, I know Jaron Cumberland, I think, had had struggled a little bit uh, for the first part of the year. But it, as you said, he seems to be finding his footing now. And one of the, one thing that they do, I mean, they, they still play defense. They're not, I don't think, quite as locked down as they were when when Mick Cronin was coming, and you knew that first team to fifty would probably go ahead and win that game, <laughs> yeah. but. They've they've turned it up after they they lost to Memphis uh, on the 16th of January. They've won seven of their past nine, and you know you can't. As much as it's disappointing to lose, you know, an overtime double overtime game, unfortunately at home, um, you know you can't you can't be too disappointed with that. I guess the problem is is you know they've played four overtime games in a row, and uh, you know that that's something I, I don't think you see very often. And you start to wonder if uh, tired legs might, I mean, I know they're still relatively young guys, but I wonder if that will have an impact here coming down the stretch. But yeah, they're, they're not a team, you know, add them to the list of teams. I certainly wouldn't want to see in a first or second round matchup because uh, they can defend. And when you got a guy like Cumberland, who's not quite as well known, I don't think for his scoring as Marcus Howard, but uh, he can score it with the best of them. And he's a guy I would want to try and have to figure out how to defend. In terms of the American, and this was the other game that I saw a little bit of last night, but then I realized if I switched out, I wasn't going to end up missing a whole lot. Houston ended up giving Tulsa a shellacking. They won 76-43, which is actually the exact same score of the beating they gave Wichita State a couple of weeks ago. It was coming off their loss at SMU, which then they hadn't lost. I think they've only lost two conference games this year. Houston, with Kelvin Sampson, is once again looking like a nice uh, juggernaut team in that American. Yeah, yeah. They just, you know, you can't say enough about the job that Kelvin Sampson has done there. Because, you know, a couple years ago, they had Rob Gray, uh, it looked like they were going to be moving to the Sweet 16 until Jordan Poole hit that three-pointer for Michigan at the buzzer. But I still uh, cannot believe that happened, by the way. I really do think that had Houston won that game, they could have ended up on a very similar path to what Michigan ended up on that year. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. But you, you look at what Houston has done. Kelvin Sampson's first year, 13 and 19. Since then, 22 and 10 made the NIT. 2017, they were 21 and 11. Again, first round of the NIT. 2018, we just talked about, they were 27 and 8, second round of the NCAA tournament. Last year, 33 and 4. Uh, they were a three seed and made it to the Sweet 16 before they lost to Kentucky. Um, you know, now they're 21 and six, and uh, they're trending in the right direction. Um, you know, it, it seems like the thing I guess that might hurt them is that they lost all of their sort of marquee non-conference games. Although they do have a win at South Carolina, which is as good as South Carolina is sort of trending towards the bubble, and they did beat Washington, which at the time looked like a really good win and i if we go back and talk about disappointments washington i think is another one with yeah. two guys who are probably going to be taken in the the lottery and uh, they're last in the in the pack 12 um but you know other than that like houston might be hurt a little bit by the fact that they don't really have any non-conference that that stand out to you but my goodness uh you know 17th in offensive efficiency 27th in defensive efficiency and, uh, you know, one of their top players in terms of uh, possessions used, Caleb Mills is a freshman, and uh, they blended nicely. They got a good mix of, of newcomers uh, and guys who are back, Giroux and Quentin Grimes and Fabian White, guys who've got experience playing in the NCAA tournament for Houston. And uh, Calvin, Calvin Sampson has built himself something there. And every so often, it seems like every offseason, somebody's going to be like, well, where's Calvin Sampson going to go? Which blue blood job is he going to take? You know, which power five job or whatever. And I think he's he's built himself something very nice at Houston. And I don't think yeah. uh, short of, I don't know, if Duke or somebody were to offer him the job when Coach K retires, like, I, I wouldn't move on. The AAC is a, a solid basketball league. I mean, I know they'll probably take a little bit of a at least a brand image hit when UConn goes to the Big East next year. But he has built himself a a pretty solid program uh, in Houston, and there's no reason to think that they're not going to stick around for the long haul. And I'm not quite sure where they'll end up, what seed line they're going to end up on in March. But um, they're they're just another one of those teams. I feel like this is all I'm saying, but they're another one of those <laughs> teams you're not going to want to see pop up in your region because they are going to be a really tough out. I also got to say. What has UConn done in the American, by the way? I know people are going to, there will be some sort of a hit in terms of perception when they move over to the Big East. But since transitioning into the American, it, it, they have not made the tournament. Nope, nope, they haven't done anything. So I think it's just at that point, you're just playing off of brand names and you go, well, you know, that's one less, one fewer brand. But at the same time, it's Kelvin Sampson, I think, has Houston well positioned to become the marquee brand of the AAC and along with Wichita State. And if, you know, uh, they can keep winning down in Dallas at SMU and you can get a resurgence of some of the other programs. Uh, I know uh, Tulsa has kind of faded out, but at one point they were leading the American. And if you can get a few more of those teams, you can pretty easily survive uh UConn leaving especially as you pointed out since they haven't played an NCAA tournament game since they've been a member of the AAC yeah all right well one more thing before we move over to baseball you want to talk about Valpo Crusaders for a second here oh man that game last night I don't know if you got a chance for that one that was no I I miss all the I don't have ESPN plus Mm, so whenever a game isn't on tv I just assume I'm not going to be able to see it. I know sometimes it's just on ESPN three, 
But so I miss a lot of games, unfortunately. But I am going to the Bradley game on Saturday. Oh, nice! Uh, that should be a good time. Uh, give my give my fond regards to the Ark. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was. Uh, I mean, it was they've had a tendency, and they did the same thing at Illinois State Saturday night. It seems like the recurring theme has been on the road to find themselves down double digits early. And last night was exactly like that. They were up early eight to two. Then all of a sudden they were behind 40, 22, I think was the halftime score. And they fought and clawed their way back and forced overtime and were playing Drake even in overtime. And uh, a guy from Drake hit a jumper with a, about four seconds left to go, I think to give him a 77, 75 win. And uh, you know, the, when Valpo plays well, when they're on, I mean, Javon Freeman Liberty is remarkable to watch. He is, when he's on, he is so skilled and his defense is so good. He uh, broke, I think, his own program record for steals in a season last night. And, uh, you know, they've got, they've got some really good players. Uh, Donovan Clay is a really talented freshman who's going to be a really good player in a Valpo uniform for a while. Uh, they're blending it if Ryan Fizikis can stay healthy. He, poor guy has had been plagued by injury issues ever since he graduated from Michigan City Marquette, first to Providence and then back at Valpo. And uh, but if he can stay healthy, even uh, you know he's a guy who can bury a big time three. And um, they're they're a game under 500 in the Valley and uh, desperately trying to avoid the uh, play-in games on. Thursday night, so if they can avoid the 7-10-8-9 game, and that would be the first time that they'd finished in the top six since they entered the Valley. Um, and, you know, it's it's just, it's it's got to be so frustrating for, um, you know, the guys who cover the team and for the players. One game, they'll look really good, and they'll look great, and they'll look fantastic, and then they'll play again, and they'll really struggle. The same thing, they played Loyola a couple weeks ago. They found themselves down by 12 in the second half, fought all the way back to tie it, uh, were down one, and had a chance to uh, win on the final shot and then couldn't get a shot off. And it just, I'm sure it's incredibly frustrating for the players, but uh, it seems like they're close. Yeah, I would say my main thing I want to say, and I've been saying it for a few years, is stay patient. If you're a Valpo fan, I know a lot of people have been impatient and frustrated. It Moving up from the Horizon League to the Missouri Valley Conference, that's a jump. I mean, that's not they're not equal. Missouri Valley is one of the best mid-major conferences in America, and you're seeing it if you pay attention to how good these teams are, if you pay attention to how well Bradley played Michigan State in the first round of the tournament last year. This is a really good conference, and if, in addition to that, they had to get a whole new group in after Alec and his class all graduated. So, it, of course, it was going to take a few years to get adjusted, but you're starting to see it right now. They're a 500 team in conference play. They have the potential to win a couple games in this conference tournament, maybe do a little more than that. But the core is there for the future with Clay and with Javon Freeman Liberty, who, in fact, I think Javon, you look at him, he's a potential NBA talent. But I think it, it helps the fact that he isn't peaking at he isn't at his absolute best right now because then he could go pro. I think it helps the fact that, hey, 
Javon is probably going to be here for another year, maybe in maybe two years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and a, a chance to build uh, for something. I know that uh, you know recruiting has has picked up. Um, you know, I know they're pretty excited about the the class of freshmen. We talk about Donovan Clay, Ben Cricky has, I think that's how you say his last name. Um, he's had some big games uh, for them. And they had a couple of guys who transferred in and were eligible this year. Um, Aaron Gordon and uh, Nick Robinson, I think. And so those guys, and they're all just kind of gelling. And, you know, at one point had lost, um, you know, they'd lost three or four in a row. And, and the, the, they've had some losses where it, it could have bottomed out. And they, they've rebounded, especially that loyal loss. You know, they got to five and seven, a chance they could have had a chance to win the game at the end, rebounded with uh, win at Southern, uh, home against Southern Illinois and then at Illinois State to get back to 500. Uh, you're talking about going to Braddy on, on Saturday. And uh, if they could win that one and then beat Missouri State at home on Tuesday, that would guarantee themselves at least a 500 record in the, in the Valley and uh, go down to Indiana State on the last day of the regular season and try and see if they can steal a win there, finish above 500 and you know the the valley's got northern iowa and uh, loyola are currently 11 and 3 and 11 and 4 bradley is 10 and 5 and then you know you southern illinois is 9 and 5 drake is 8 and 7 indiana state is 7 and 7 missouri state is 7 and 8 and valpo is 7 and 8 and then illinois state is 3 and 12 and evansville is 0 and 14 so it's after those those top 3 teams you know there's a little decided bit of separation and you never know what will happen down at Arch Madness. And if they can put themselves in position to avoid having to win four games in four days, they can make a run at it. Absolutely. All right. Last college hoops thing here. Give me one thing that we haven't talked about yet. And if, it, if nothing comes to mind, that's fine. We'll move over to baseball. But what's one thing that we should be watching for down the stretch from a team that we haven't talked about yet? Oh, boy. Or a story. Uh, wow. Only one, huh? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think we touched on it a little bit, but, um, you know, I think some of those teams that you highlighted in some of those non-Power 5 leagues, um, you know, we, we talked about Northern Iowa. We just had a nice discussion about the, the Missouri Valley, but even a team like Yale, uh, if they yeah. can win the Ivy League, They're I feel good. like... And we touched on this a little bit, but I feel like, as you said, this is as good a year as any for the non-Power 5 leagues. And I, I guess if you want to call them mid-majors, but to make a, a statement and, and win some games, it would not surprise me at all if you saw teams like, I mean, I, I feel like Gonzaga, San Diego State, and Dayton will probably end up in the Sweet 16. But even a team like BYU, um Northern Iowa has a chance to win a couple of games. Rhode Island is really good. East Tennessee State, um, UNC Greensboro. There are a lot. Stephen of F. Really, Austin. Stephen F. Austin. In. Yep, yep. Even Furman is is kind of knocking on the door. There are a lot of. This is as good a year as I can remember of mid-major teams, and you know, given the uncertainty of everything else, you know, uh, the teams at the top, this could be a, a Sweet Sixteen where you find five or six or seven mid-major teams that you would lump into that distinction playing in the Sweet 16. And, you know, as a pair of guys here who I went to Valpo and have Valpo degrees, I think that would that would 
make us pretty happy. I would certainly <laughs> like to see as many mid-major schools um, as possible getting there. And I don't know where you feel about the American. I mean, I don't classify Houston, even though they've played in a couple of NCAA championship games when they had five slam jam in the, the early to mid eighties. Like I still kind of think of them as a mid-major program and maybe that'll get me a lot of hate. I would, mail you know what you. I would maybe. say is I don't think the American or the big East is a mid-major conference, but the perception is that it doesn't have the reputation of the power five because it, it it's in the name power five. There are only right. five schools in there. So mm-hmm. I think this is an opportunity for a team like Houston, or if Cincinnati is able to make a run, that that can really give a nice boost to the conference. Ooh, uh, that does remind me, yes. And uh, one other thing we haven't touched on, and I don't know whether it will happen because parts of it will depend on you know needing Kansas or Baylor to lose a couple of games, but I am definitely here for the possibility of Gonzaga, San Diego State, and Dayton all being one seeds. Hmm. I would love that. That would, that would be the... The epitome of, you know, kind of this college basketball season is Kansas or Baylor, one power five school, and then you get the other three one seed in the West Coast Conference, the Mountain West, and the Atlantic Ten. That would that would probably make my year. That'd be a lot better than three from the ACC. <laughs> yeah, like we like we had last year for sure. And I, I was you know, I was trying to think uh, I'm trying to was just kind of other than Gonzaga, and I know they kind of fall under, but I mean Wichita State was a one seed a couple years ago. Um, you know, St. Joe's the year they went undefeated until they lost in the A-10 tournament back in 2004. But I was trying to think of other non, you know, Power Five or Gonzaga type schools who who would qualify as number one seeds, and there haven't been many. So the fact that you know San Diego State and Dayton are both within shouting distance, uh, I think, is 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 a really great sign. It, it's good to know that you know one of the great things we like about the NCAA tournament is that you know anybody can win it. And to see teams like this go and have good years and end up possibly as one or two seeds lets you know that, yeah, you can win an NCAA tournament from anywhere. And so uh, that's that's pretty exciting. Well said, Andrew. A very fun conversation about college basketball. Let's have a conversation about MLB, and let's hope it's fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have some thoughts. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. It is now Jack from the future once again cutting into the middle of this podcast. And I must say, we had a great time talking college hoops. If you want to hear our conversation on Major League Baseball, we ended up talking plenty about the Astros. What is an appropriate penalty for the Astros? This is an organization. How has the MLB handled this whole sign-stealing debacle We talked plenty about that. We also talked about the MLB Hall of Fame voting from last month. Should there have been outrage over Derek Jeter not being a unanimous Hall of Fame selection? Who are some people that we've overlooked from the Hall of Fame voting? Who are some people who have been on the ballot for years who we haven't given enough attention to? The Cubs have announced that they want Chris Bryant to be their leadoff hitter this season. There's plenty of Major League Baseball stuff to talk about as spring training begins. Spring training has been in action for a week now, and spring training games are about to start sometime over the next couple of days. It's an exciting time of year. I said it at the top of the show. I said it again. Thank you so much to everyone who checked out the first half of this podcast episode. 
I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you like what you heard and you would like to hear more, subscribe to the Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe. Please leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. I cannot overstate how much it helps this podcast by growing it and getting the word out to other people. If you can just subscribe, leave a rating and a review, just write some kind words as a five-star rating, it'll do the podcast a lot of good, and I really appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, my Twitter handle is at Jack Vita Show. That's the name of this podcast. Go ahead and tweet me your thoughts on everything we talked about today. What is the story of college basketball this year? I want to hear from you. Tweet it at me. Let me know. Tweet at Andrew Stem. He will reveal his Twitter handle in the next part of this podcast. But as I mentioned, so much to look forward to with this podcast. Hope you enjoyed the first part. Come back and listen to the MLB part in a day or two. I should have plenty more content coming up over the next few weeks leading up to Selection Sunday. As Andrew mentioned, we're only 24 days away from Selection Sunday. So there's plenty to talk about, and I will be here the whole way to help guide you through it, to help you get ready to make your March Madness brackets. I'm going to help you make a perfect bracket this year. It will happen. Thank you so much to everyone who listened. I hope you have a great day. Tune in next time. And until next time, I'm Jack Vita. Bring in the dancing lobsters.